Genesis chapter 2. I have Genesis 3 written down, and that's not right. It is Genesis 2 that I need to be. I have to fix my notes. See, this is what I get for writing my own notes and not having my wife write them. Genesis chapter 2, we see the establishment of marriage. The establishment of a husband and wife, the very first one, Adam and Eve. And we're going we're gonna to see what comes out of this. It says this, And the Lord said, the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make for him and help meet for him. Now, that's not a help meet. She's not my help meet. She's my help meet for me. Okay? The only time that that word is used in that sense, it is a help meet for him. Okay? Uh, it's, it's quite often, you know, just spoken of as, oh, she's my help meet. You know, and, and it, it works. But according to the definition of what a meet is, uh, it's an adjective. Okay? So that adjective doesn't have anything to, you know, describe until you, for him. All right? And so this, this idea here of a help meet for him, he says, I'm going to make him and help meet for him. And it says in verse 19, uh, and out of the ground, the Lord, uh, and out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found in help meet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And he slept and took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother. And this is what Paul was quoting in Ephesians 5. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Now there's some things that I want to pull out of this. We're going to make some uh, similarities here. All right? We're going to see the similarity between the husband and the wife and Christ and his church. In relation to God making the thing, in relation to it coming of his own body, in relation to that relationship there, even what Adam says about her, and even in verse 24, uh, shall uh, leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife. There, there's a lot of things that we're going to kind of pull apart in this thing. So let's back up just a little bit. And we're going to go right back into verse 18. He says, uh, it is not good that the man should be alone. This is a great principle. Okay? It is not good for man to be alone. It's not a good thing. When you are alone, you have the opportunity to fall into diverse temptations. Even more so than when you have your family with you, when you have your help meet for you with you. Uh, we, God created us to be social creatures. One aspect of the church is that. Okay? that. That fellowship of the brethren. The problem begins is when we make the fellowship of the brethren and the, uh, can I say, organizations within the church and the pet projects of the church and this event and that event of the church, when that becomes the purpose of the church, it becomes fellowship. And in that case, it then becomes an organization and a business 
rather than the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. Now, when it is the pillar and the ground of the truth, and the church of God is in it, and it is being taught of God, out of the word of God, there is going to be a, a unity of fellowship. There is going to be a unity that is brought together, um, endeavoring to keep the unity of the bond of peace, in the spirit and the bond of peace. That, that fellowship is very precious. Uh, John puts it this way, um, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. That blood cleansing us, and again, we saw that in, in uh, Ephesians chapter 5, what that does, uh, the purpose of that, that blood cleansing us gives us fellowship one with another. It, it makes it so we can have fellowship. And so you can have fellowship in a bowling league. You can have fellowship, you know, in uh, high school sports. You can have fellowship in poker night, okay? So fellowship is not the purpose of the church. The purpose of the church is to come together and listen to the preaching of the word of God. That is the purpose. Because it is the washing of water by the word that cleanses the church, prepares it to be presented to himself. He's presenting it to himself, a glorious church, without spot or wrinkle or blemish or any such thing. Okay? And we've gone into that before, you know, what a spot is, what a blemish is, and all of that. And so we won't, we won't go deeper into that tonight. But uh, this idea, I, I, was, I was sitting up where this whole thing came from. I was sitting up in uh, Eden, New York, getting ready to uh, preach the men's breakfast up there. And we, I, was, I was talking with a pastor, and we were just discussing th some things. And a thought popped into my head, because he mentioned something about his help meet for him. And he, he, he said the whole phrase, and I, that caught my ear. And I was like, oh, interesting. Um, but he said something about that, and I just got to thinking, hmm. You know, God showed me something very precious about my wife at Youth Week this last year. Um, we were sitting and, and uh, you know, husbands love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And that love that I have for my wife is supposed to be a picture to her of how Christ loves the church. You know, I've mentioned that before in here, that that's, that's husbands, that's what our purpose is, okay, is to show our wives what it is that Christ loves the church. Okay, that amount of love that we show them, that we live for them, that we, we outpour upon them, all of those things, that is to be, a, the, the sole purpose of that is to show how Christ loves the church. And in relation to that, I thought, boy, you know what? I absolutely love my wife. I love kissing her. And that, you know, I've gone through this whole thing. I love holding her. I love touching her face. She just has a nice face. And, you know, I love her little soft ears, and I love every little thing about her, and I love the sound of her laugh and her voice, and I even love the smell of her hair. And just, just everything, I, I'm just infatuated with her. I just love her. And it struck me like, like a lightning bolt while we were sitting up there. That's how much Christ loves me. Because the love that I have for her is supernatural. It's not, it's not anything I could work up. It's well beyond that. And so that love I have for her is the love that God gave me for her. That's that fruit of the Spirit. Okay? And if that's the love he gave me for her to show her how much Christ loves the church, I'm the church. That's how much Christ loves me. He wants, he wants to be with me. He wants to hold me. He wants to play with the soft, fuzzy ears that I have. You know, he wants to kiss all over me. And he, I mean, you go ahead, you... you Get right into a Song of Solomon. You just put yourself right in there, church. 
That's you and your, it's you and your Jesus. That's, that's a precious thing. And I got to thinking, wow, that, that's so wonderful. But when I was up at the men's breakfast, I, I got to thinking, boy, there's more to that. Because God gave her to be a help meet for me. Now, in the relationship of a, of a husband and wife showing the church, I represent Jesus Christ. She represents the church. And she is my help meet for me. You know what that means? You, as the church, are the help meet for Jesus Christ. Now, what does it mean to be meet? Well, it's, it's fitting. It's perfect. Uh, it's proper. There, there's a specific purpose that has been designed for. And it fits that purpose perfectly. Okay? So you as the church, I understand not everyone in here is born again, but just understand, those of you who are lost, this is what Christ desires with you. This is what he wants you to have with him. This intimacy is something that you cannot even fathom. Having an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. And that is so precious in relation to the husband and wife relationship. It, it goes far beyond any kind of lustful thoughts. It goes far beyond any kind of, of perversion that might creep into the relationship. This is, a, this is a closeness that is bonded in that intimate relationship. And us being a help meet for him, it is perfectly suitable. We are perfectly fitted for him, for our husband. We are perfectly fit for what he wants us to be for him. And then you look at this. The establishment of this, this great mystery that Paul expounds on after, what, it would be 4,000 years of human history. He finally is given this revelation. This is the purpose of marriage, to show Christ and his church. And so... Go back into Genesis 2, and let's look at this a little deeper. Now that we have that relation, now you have where, where my scrambled brain is going in all of this. Look at this. First thing you notice in verse 18, he says, It's not good that the man should be alone. The Lord God says, I will make him and help meet for him. First thing you notice is that God is the one that makes you meet for Jesus. Makes you perfectly suited for him. He is the one that does that. Now, that is by design. However, corruption enters in the picture. Because not every wife is a help meet for her husband. And what it is, it's not her personality. That personality, if God just put that thing together, that personality is the thing that God loves. Many times personalities can be tainted because of bad character. Um... But character is the thing that, that corrupts that marriage. Bad character. And understanding this, that your character can corrupt you from being perfectly fitted for Jesus Christ. It absolutely can. Because he doesn't want you with spot. That's a foreign substance that has stained you. He doesn't want you to be with wrinkle. He, he wants you to be handled properly and and put away properly and taken out properly, not just thrown in a corner somewhere and just abused. That's not what Jesus Christ wants of you, church. He wants you to be perfectly fitted for him, perfectly ready, perfectly washed, perfectly prepared, so that he can present you to himself, a glorious church. But it's God that does that. I will make him 
and help meet for him. God does that. Now, I believe that that process happens when you are made free. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. I, I truly believe this is a perfect connection to that, is that God is the one that does that. Again, it, it's God that saves you. It's not anything that you can work up. You can't, uh, as David Brainerd was trying to do, you can't build up your, your religious activities to try to state a case against God throwing you in hell. That's not how that works. Look, God, see, they're, they're, I'm making it harder for you to damn me because of all the things that I'm doing. All the prayers that I'm praying, all the seeking that I'm doing, all the scripture that I read, all the, all the activities I'm involved in, all the service that I do for you. That, that's not what it is at all. It's falling on his mercy. That's what it is. It's yielding unto him. Uh, it's, it's letting go. All right? You're opposing yourself. The man of God must not strive, but be patient unto all men, apt to teach. In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. And somebody who's opposing themselves is wrapped up with a rope and they're holding on to both ends. It's not tied in a knot, but they're keeping themselves tied up. And in meekness, the man of God, it's not to strive with them, but to instruct with meekness. Understanding that God sees everything, God hears everything, God knows everything, and you're just instructing out of the word of God saying, let go of the rope. Yield to him. Yield to him. Now, I'm going to put this in your position, wife. That's your position, too. Yield to your husband. Yield to him. He is the picture of Jesus Christ in your home. You yield to him. It doesn't say that you do it when he deserves it. There's no caveat with that. You submit yourself unto him. You pray for him. If he's not living for the Lord, you pray for him. Let God deal with that. But you do what you know is right in the Lord. And in God's eyes, he'll, he'll honor that. And he'll honor that prayer. But we're going to continue on. Let's, let's go a little bit further. Uh, so, verse 20. Adam gave names to all cattle and to all the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found in help meet for him. I'm sorry. Dogs are not man's best friend. Your wife is. You start treating a dog better than you treat your wife, you're worse than an infidel. You deserve everything you get. God sent every animal of the field, including trout. And there's my weakness. Including trout before Adam. And he named them. So if you don't think that unicorns should be in the Bible, take that up with Adam. He's the one that named it. But he looked at everything in the animal kingdom, and there was not found one living thing that was meat for him. Not one. Not a single thing out there was meat for Adam. So God stepped in. The Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept, and took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. Second thing, young men in here who are not yet married, did Adam have to go looking for his wife? What did God do? Brought her to him. You wait on God. Too many men have gone looking and gotten in bed with the wrong woman and then decided to marry that woman and it ends up in divorce 
99.9999999% of the time. I'll dare say it ends up in adultery probably 100% of the time. Don't outstep God. You wait for God to bring you a wife. He has one fitted for you perfectly. Now it may be like Mark Bradfield, how, did anybody know how old Mark and Monica were when they finally got married, when they, 40s, okay? You willing to wait for 40 years on God? She was 42, okay? Are you willing to wait 42 years? Or do you do it according to what society says? You turn 18, you move out of the house, you start dating, you find this woman, you, you date her for a while, and then you get married. I was too young to get married. Honestly, I look at myself now and I think I'm still too young to get married. I really have no idea what I'm doing. Okay? But God's got to do that. All right? I know, like, Brother McVeigh, he was in his 50s before he got married. Not 50s, no, 40s. He was in his mid-40s before he got married. But God brought him a wife. This is a principle out of the Word of God. All right? And I will go so far as to say this is a precept that God will bring you a wife. God brought me a wife. I was way too young for her. But God brought her. And so, let's keep going here. He brought her unto the man. Look at verse 23. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of the man. Now, this idea of bone of bone, flesh of flesh, think about this. We are created in Christ Jesus unto good works. We are seated with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Okay? Where are we, church? I mean, I know we're on Coons Cross and we're sitting in the pews. But spiritually, where are we? We are in our husband. We are a part of him. He is a part of us. What what does it say in 1 Corinthians? That... We're not to be members unto a harlot. Not at all. No, we're part of Christ's body. And here again, we see this same picture. Bone of bone, flesh of flesh. It says, because the woman was taken out of man. Now look at this, verse 24. This is very interesting. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife. Now, when you cleave something, what are you doing? chopping it right in half. When you cleave something asunder, it cuts it completely in half and separates it entirely. And I would grab hold of this concept and this definition of this word cleave to to grab hold of, except it says cleave unto. It doesn't just say cleave to, all right? Right now, I am holding onto this, this pulpit, okay? I have, I have cleaved myself to it. But I haven't separated from anything. When something is cleaved, it's separated. But it's not just separated for no purpose. The man is separated from his father and mother, and he cleaves unto his wife. So even in that, the definition of that word, in, in cleaving, separating, or cleaving, grabbing a hold of, it is a separation unto my wife. 
completely separated from every other woman in the world, completely separated from my mother and my father, and I cleave unto her. But I want you to note something. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife. It doesn't say leave his father and mother, move out of the house, start a life, and then find a wife later on. I'm just going to point that out. American culture does not like that. American culture doesn't like what I preach Sunday night about it's good for a man not to touch a woman. But look how rotten our culture is. Now men in here who left home a little early, and maybe men that are listening, did you get into trouble when you left home without a wife? I did. There's wisdom in these words. I don't have many hoary hairs upon my head, but I can tell you from experience, there's wisdom in these words. Don't be too quick to leave your father and mother if you don't have a wife to cleave unto. Just, just take that for what it is. File it away. You can disagree with me if you like. That's fine. I'm just giving you what the Bible is saying. So, Let's keep going on this, though. Uh, leave his father and mother, cleave unto his wife. They shall be one flesh. And then we have that same thing spoken of in Ephesians 5, where he talks about, you know, man never hated his own flesh. Well, why? Because she's my flesh, and I'm her flesh. And this body is no longer mine, it's hers. And her body is no longer hers, it's mine. And, and we're not to defraud one another. We're not to withhold ourselves from each other, except it be for a time for fasting and prayer. But then, to come again unto each other so that you don't burn in your incontinence, your lack of self-control. And so, there's a whole lot that goes along with this. But Genesis 3 really just shows me that we as a church are created a help meet for Jesus Christ. Because he is, we are his bride. He is our husband. God the Father created us for him. He made us. Okay? He formed us. He, he perfectly fitted us for his work. Uh, thinking about that, that building fitly framed together. Every part having its purpose. Every member having its purpose. Uh, I'm going to run through just a couple of scriptures here and uh, we'll, we'll be done. Uh, but really, 1 John 3, 9 talks about uh, whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him. And there again, we, we're looking at this thing that... Uh, in verse 23, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. You know, his seed remaineth in you. He, he, he stays in you. He's a part of you. He, he, he came in and then he closed up the flesh instead thereof. Okay? Uh, spiritually speaking. Um, Ephesians chapter 1. Let's, let's bounce back there real quick. Just a couple of aspects of, of being a help meet for him. And this is just, these are just some, some thoughts on this. This isn't a fully expounded, fully drawn-out study. This would be something good for you to keep filed away towards the front so that as you're reading through the Word of God, you see a relationship between a husband and wife. Think, okay, how, how does this work between me and Jesus Christ? How am I being a help meet for Jesus? Um, Ephesians 1, 21, it says, uh, Far above all principality and all power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And it's speaking of Christ. And hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body. And look at this. A help meet for him, perfectly fitted for him, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. 
we make up the fullness of Christ. When I don't have her with me, there's a part of me missing. And when Christ doesn't have the fullness of the church with him, there's something missing. And he's grieved over it. Okay? The, the heart of Jesus Christ is going to be grieved throughout eternity, I believe. For those that are lost, reject God, and he has to tell them, depart from me, I never knew you. That was one in which he died for. That is one in which his father was not willing that they should perish, but that they should come to repentance, but they refused. And so, seeing there that we are the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Um, go to Ephesians 5 and look at verse 1. I hope this is the right place. It is. Okay. Be therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. And boy, there's a lot of things in there. Dig into the Levitical sacrifices in relation to a sweet-smelling savor and see what we are to be to God. Okay, it's a good study. It's a very good study. Look at this, though. Verse 3. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. It's not fitting. It's not proper. It's not right for a saint of God to be fornicating, unclean, covetous. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. You see, even in that, this is one way that we can be meet for our husband. That we can be proper and fitting for him is if we live in a way that is becoming saints. That is becoming of saints. Uh, Colossians chapter 3. And well, I think we're going to be done. I had one in 1 Corinthians, but I don't think we're going to go there tonight. Colossians chapter 3. Uh, right there in verse 12 is where we're going to start. It says this, Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. All right, husbands, as Christ forgave you, so do ye also forgive everyone else, including your wife. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. And above all these things, all these put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly in you in all wisdom. All right? Why? Because that is how he washes you, is the word. It's the washing of water by the word. That's how he is able to present you to himself, spotless, blameless, no wrinkles, nothing. Let's keep going. In all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. And we have this charge. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Right there again. As it is meet. 
Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. Wives, you don't submit yourself to another husband. You submit to your own husband. Church, you do not submit to another husband. You submit to Jesus Christ. That is who you fall in submission before. Because he is a husband that cares for you. He's a husband that loves you. He's a husband that will guard you. Not only that, will he guard you physically, he will guard your heart. He will guard your mind. He will guard your spirit. He'll guard your thoughts. He'll guard you where you don't even think you need to be guarded. Husbands, in here, let's be honest. How many times have you had to intervene for your wife because she was being foolish? In all seriousness. Ooh, not a single hand. Okay, I've had to do it. Husbands, you need to be looking out because your wives are bent towards foolishness. If you haven't intervened, it's meaning because you missed something. Women are meant, or not meant to be, but they were made so that they are easily deceived. Now, we have some very intelligent women in here. We have some women that have a lot of good sense and a lot of good smarts. But you're to be looking out for the things that they can't see. I'm just going to let that one lay there. Okay? I thought I'd see a couple of hands. Maybe, maybe it was out of fear of, oh, I don't want to call my wife a fool. Okay, and I'm okay with that. Okay, I see a couple. Oh, that was there, yeah. Wives, this is not a slight on you at all. God gave you a husband to protect you and to guard you and to watch out for the foolishness and to reprove you and correct you when you need it. Okay? Wives, submit yourselves to your own husband in these things. Acknowledge when they're right. Acknowledge when you know they're not right, but you're going to let them be right. Okay? And then later on you'll find out, okay, yeah, he was right. There are times when you find out he was absolutely wrong. How many times have I been wrong this week? Have you been keeping track? Lost count already. Okay. But you want to know one thing? She never, ever, not anymore, never tells me when I was wrong. And even before, before she was safe, she didn't even do it then. And I, I attribute that to the godly upbringing that she had. But just understand this. Husbands, God gave you to your wife to be a picture of Christ in your home to her. Love her like Christ loves a church. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. Look at this. Continuing on here. Um, husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Children don't get out of this thing either. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. And then this is something that is needed, and this is going to fall as a rebuke against the fathers in here that did not do this and are not doing this. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. I've seen it. I've seen children get discouraged because they don't know how to make dad happy. They don't know what to do that's right because whatever I do is wrong. Whatever I say is wrong. I, I never know if he's going to yell at me for this or not yell at me for that. Fathers, th there's, no, there's no time for that. You don't have time to be like that with your children. Okay? Your grandparents in here, you can pass that on to your children. Okay? 
and apologize because you didn't do it right. Let's just admit that. Okay. But we're to submit ourselves to Lord Jesus Christ as is fit in the Lord. Again, we are his help meet for him. Now, are you fit for the master's use? Or are those things that are not becoming of saints in your life? Examine yourself on those things. The preaching is done. You can go ahead and shut that off now. But uh, I think